Good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning's Bible reading comes from 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 to 25, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Um, and in the reading this morning, uh, the first bit of the reading really encourages us to be children of the Father. And the second bit of the reading, at least to me, uh, there's an exhortation to be better versions of ourselves. So, uh, 1 Peter. Therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in the coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply, from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your, in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Good morning. My name's Matt. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, being a child of God, Rick was exactly right in his little preface to the reading there. Being a child of God means becoming like children of God or behaving like children of God. Uh, I remember when Leif, our son, my firstborn, was first born, uh, about two people in that first year of his life said, Matt, he looks like you. And I told them they were lying because Naomi's genes, her Asian genes, are so strong that he just looked like her. Uh, but as he got a little bit older, uh, Leif began to imitate me and there's moments where I realized actually gosh I gotta watch out what I do with 
my life and each and every day because he will just copy me. And they become little imitators. Uh, but then finally, um, over time, what I've noticed is as he gets a little bit older, as he understands us a little bit more, you know, we, our role as parents is to teach him right and wrong, uh, to teach him what's good for him, what's bad for him. And over time, he becomes obedient some of the time to what we say. But being a, being a child means becoming like your parents, doesn't it? Being a child of God means becoming like your heavenly father. Being a child of God means becoming like your heavenly father, behaving like him, or as Rick put it, becoming a better version of ourselves. Uh, This, in fact, is Peter's main metaphor today for us. We've seen that uh, knowing Christ, having a life with Christ at the center, gives us hope for life. But this week we see that having Christ at the center of our life, knowing who God is, actually gives us a new morality. It changes our behavior. And that's what I want to explore with you this morning. And my first question for us this morning is, well, why change your behavior? Why change your behavior? Uh, In fact, I think often we encounter this question or we have this question ourselves, and it goes something like this. Even for Christians, why does it matter how I live if God is going to forgive me for everything I do in the future anyway? That's a really good question. Why does it matter how I live today if God's going to forgive me in the future anyway? And I think a question like that actually stems from the kind of picture we have of the future. The picture we have, Christians have, of something that we call salvation. You know, it goes something like this. You know, when I die, I'll come before God and sure, he'll see everything I've ever done. He'll, he knows all of that stuff and he'll judge me some way, shape or form for that. But he also knows I'm a child of God. He also knows I trusted in Jesus and therefore everything I've ever done will be forgiven and I'll walk through those pearly gates and to the happily ever after or something like that. That's our vision of the future that we have. And a vision of the future like that has some important truths in it. You know, yes, God knows everything about our lives. Also, God has provided an opportunity for forgiveness. Uh, But I think it can lead to a little bit of vagueness about how do we live now? Why does it matter how I live now? And when there's commands in the Bible like we read about today, uh, we think, well, perhaps these are optional for our lives. They're not that important. Maybe the Bible is a little bit confused or God's a little bit confused. But actually, I think our picture is confused of the future. And we need a bigger and better picture. And in fact, Peter has given us one. In 1 Peter chapter 1 last week that Prash brought to us, 1 Peter 3 verse 7, it gives us this incredible picture of our future as Christians. It, talks, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us a new life. He's given us a new life. And part of this new life is that you and I don't belong anymore. We're not uh, becoming, you know, like Bob and Jane Smith, whoever our parents are, but we have a new life as a child of God. And he says that part of that new life is this unimaginable inheritance. You're going to have this incredible inheritance, inheritance as a Christian, far bigger and more beautiful than any inheritance you could have 
in this life here and now. And he says, even more than that, you have this faith, you have this life that will result in praise and honor and glory to God. You know, one of the greatest hopes of a child, isn't it, that they will have a life that's pleasing to their parents. And Peter says, actually, it's possible that you will live a life, that you will have a faith that on the last day, Jesus says, wow, this is a life of praise, honor and glory to me. And in fact, even better news than that is that no matter how far you get, there's grace to be brought to you on that day. Jesus will complete your transformation on that day. You will be like the child of God, Jesus himself, in your thinking, in your actions, in your behavior. You will be just like him. And so Peter says to us, therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, set your hope fully on that grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And why does he say set your hope fully on that grace? Because he knows if you have that kind of expectation, you'll want to change your behavior. You'll want to change how you live today. I heard a wonderful preacher uh, use a wonderful analogy for this, so I thought I would borrow it. And that is this. Imagine two people were told to go to work each day, and they had to build a hundred little gadgets. And one of them was told, at the end of the day, you'll get 20 bucks. So I don't know, 15, somebody can do the math for me, $15,000 at the end of the year for building 100 gadgets a day for a whole year. The other one was told, I need you to build 100 gadgets, but at the end of the year, you'll get $100 million. You'll get an inheritance. How would that change, do you think, how those two people go about their work? One, on the, other, on the one hand, would go about his work begrudgingly, wouldn't he? He'd drag himself out of bed, you know, get to work at some point during the day, maybe leave early, he'd chuck sickies if he can. He wouldn't be very interested in his job, he'd lose interest. I imagine the other one, who's expecting $100 million at the end of the year, man, they're going to get out of bed early. They're going to go about their task with a, a whistle and a smile on their face. They're going to work hard. They're going to think about their job. They're going to take an interest in what they're doing because they've got this prize, this inheritance. Peter says to us, set your hope on this grace to come to you. That's your future. More grace. It will change everything you do. You'll walk to a different beat when you realize this prize in store. And what I think is really important about this actually is the way in which Peter tells us to set about our hope he gives us this image. He says, with minds that are alert, it's actually this ancient image uh, that's to gird the loins of your mind. He's saying, you know, roll up your sleeves in your mind when it comes to setting your hope on this grace. You know, um, rolling up, lifting up the loins of your you know, clothes was how you'd prepare for work. And he says, Peter says, you know, we spend... A lot of time and energy, we, we are purposeful. We think really energetically about all sorts of things in our lives. Where we put our money, it's a good thing to do. How are we going to spend our retirement? Our plans over Christmas? Where we'll send the, school, the kids to school? We think really energetically about those things. Do we think really energetically about the hope that we have? 
Because if you set your mind on this great truth, you'll have a reason to change. You'll have a reason to change. Well, what is the change that God expects in our lives? What is this morality that Christians should have? What is this better version of ourselves? Well, Peter gives us a clue and it pops up in verse 14 and it comes up again and again in his book. And it's this, it's this picture of that we are obedient children. We're obedient children to God. And he also says in in a, a different way, he says the same thing. He says, be holy because I am holy. Well, What does this mean? Well, this phrase, be holy because I am holy, comes from the Old Testament. It's an exact quote from Leviticus 19.2, where God has, after ancient Israel have been rescued from slavery in Egypt, God gives them a kind of a moral code on how to live in the desert while they're with him. That's really important to note, by the way, that God doesn't give them this law before he saves them. He gives them this law after they are saved. And there's all sorts of things in this moral code. There's things about what foods are good to eat, what foods are bad to eat. There's ways to treat diseases. There's ways, particular ways, you have to take care of the mold in your home and various other laws. But it was all summed up by this idea, be holy because I am holy. God was saying to his people, be like me. That's the image of being obedient children as well. Be like me. And he says, be like me because it's good for you, but also because it reflects my character in the world. He says, if you're different, if you're like me, if you're characterized by me, then the people around us will see what I'm like They'll see how good I am and they'll want to be a part of it as well. To be holy is to conform in our thinking and in our behavior to God's character. Christian morality is defined by living in such a way that's consistent with God's character. That's what you need to think about when you go about your life In fact, Peter says this is not just for Sundays, this is not just for Wednesday night. He says this is in all you do. Be holy in all you do. This is about your whole life. You know, people might ask, and it's important to kind of make this point, people might ask, uh, why don't Christians today have to follow the rules and regulations in the Old Testament or in Leviticus? And the answer, actually, is because of this passage. Peter, leader of the early church, talks about the hope God has for us, talks about the fact we've become children, just like ancient Israel were children of God. But he says, instead of having to turn now to Leviticus and learn all the rules off by heart and put them into practice, he says, instead, be characterized by God's character live a life consistent with his character because that was the same goal that they had. Peter gives us that principle. Be holy as I am holy. But that principle, of course, is going to be fleshed out in a million different ways throughout our lives and how we spend them. And so Peter gives us 
two key guiding principles to figure out how we be holy as he is holy. How do we make our lives consistent with God's character? And the first, the first one is actually fear. I'm sure this is the one that you noticed when Rick read it out to us. And fear is about knowing and understanding the nature of God. The second principle that Peter has for us is about love, and I'll talk about it in a moment. But the first one's here. He says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. You know, fear is a really unpopular term, right? Especially when it comes to God. We don't want people to think about having to fear God. But it's important to say this is not a paralyzing kind of terror. This is the kind of fear of fearing displeasing a father. I remember uh, many years ago, I think it was about 14 or 15 at the time, uh, I was going on this excursion and my dad, faithful, good dad, dropped me off to jump on this bus with all these other kids. And I was wearing, he noticed, I was wearing this T-shirt that I think I'd bought from Vinnie's. That was where I wanted to shop in the day. And I thought this T-shirt was particularly fashionable. And it had a big rip in it. And as I got out of the car, Dad just stopped me. And he was a little bit disappointed, a little bit upset in the choice of T-shirt. And I didn't quite get it. I was like, Dad, this is really fashionable. I really want to wear it. I really like it. It's groovy. Uh, that was, kids, that was the, the cool term back in the day. And, uh, and I didn't get it. I jumped in the bus. This bus excursion was like a 21-hour trip. We were driving from like New South Wales to Adelaide when you could. And, uh, and during that trip, I kind of reflected on, you know, why was Dad so disappointed? And I realized it was because that shirt reflected on him. That's what he was feeling. Because he felt like, and he was, a, a good dad who could provide for our family's needs. And here I was wearing, wearing this ripped T-shirt. It displeased him because it reflected poorly on him. And there's a fear, that a, a, a healthy fear that a child has about displeasing their, fa their father. And the fear of God, it's not inconsistent with loving him. It's not inconsistent with his love for us. In fact, it's just the other side of the coin of wanting to love him. Now, that's a t-shirt and a, a father's wage. But we're told in this passage, actually, that we've been redeemed from an empty way of life at the expense of God giving up his own son. Peter is saying, don't take that for granted. Don't despise that. Don't mistreat that. Don't call it cheap by not letting it be central to everything you do. You don't want God's displeasure when he's expended his son. We need a healthy, reverent fear of displeasing God who gave us so much. But the second characteristic uh, that Peter gives us, the second way to go about applying the principle is by thinking about love. By thinking about love. One of the things that Peter wants us to understand is that when a, a person is born again into a new family with a new heavenly father, they're born of a new seed. In fact, he says this in verse 23. I don't have it on the screen for you, but in verse 23... He says, you were not born of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed, 
by the living word of God, which has given you this new birth. He says, when you're born again in this new family, actually, you become an eternal being. You live forever. And the people you're with in Christian community live forever too. And so he says, I want you to love as if your love, as if, as if they are forever people. And if your love for them is, has a forever effect, that's what he's saying. Love people as if it will have a forever effect on them. And you've got to think, you know, this, this in my mind gives me a little picture of how Jesus loved. And that's a great example, isn't it? Because Jesus was just with his disciples for three years. And yet he loved them with this like eternal kind of love. And I was reflecting on Jesus' love and the love that he showed them. And one of the aspects that comes about uh, in this, and Peter points it out here, is he says, I want you to love one another deeply. And that word deeply actually means consistently and constantly, again and again and again and again and again, because you will love these people for forever. And you think about how Jesus loved these people. He loved them daily, didn't he? He was with these guys through every single day, walking with them on roads and preaching in synagogues and being a part of their lives daily. And they knew him so well, some of them would say, you know what, Jesus, I would die for you. But he also had a a tough kind of love for them, a difficult kind of love for them. Where sometimes, you know, he even said to Peter once, didn't he, to correct Peter's thinking, he said, Peter, in my mind right now, you're like Satan, such is your distance from knowing what God wants for us. He had a tough love. It was a difficult kind of love. Jesus, Peter's saying to us, you know, we need to have a love that is constant in every moment. And that's demanding as well, you know, we were talking about it as well with our finances before, but... We need to have a love that's demanding on us. You know, a love that requires us to give up so much. Jesus gave up everything. We need to have a love that is deep and constant for, for one another. That needs to define our love. And so how do we do this? How do we have this new kind of love? How do we change to this degree? How do we become like Jesus? Well, Peter gives us an answer in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. He says, how do you change? He says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. You know, I imagine there's two categories of people in the room. There's the first of us who are thinking, golly, in order to change this much, like, you're calling me to be a different me. You know, you're, you're asking a worm to become a butterfly, and that's exactly it. You know, Peter says we need a new birth. And if you're someone here today who's thinking, I'm not sure I'm ready for a change, then that's okay because that's how it feels. But the good news is that God can change you. He can forgive you so that you're ready to forgive others. He can show you his kindness so you can be kind to others. He can show you unending love so that you can begin to love others. And all you need to do today is ask him a simple prayer. Call on your heavenly father and say, I'm done with the old. God, I want a new life. There's 
a category of people in the room like that today. But I imagine another category in the room is those of us who are newborn already. Maybe you've been 30 years old in your newborn faith, but for Peter, you're still newborn. And he says to us, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave pure spiritual milk. Now, what is that? Well, you know, all the commentators are really quick to point out that all the descriptions about the milk here actually relate to the Bible. And actually, they're used in the Bible to speak about the Bible. Um, the idea that it is nourishing, that milk is nourishing for us, is consistent with the statements uh, that the Scripture has for itself. The purity of God's Word is something that the psalmists talk about all the time, that it's, it's, it's free from impurities. It's good and nourishing for you. And the idea of longing for God's Word is an Old Testament concept. And so, you know, we've been really specific with our vision this year of how are we going to grow the young? in devotion to God's word. That is how we grow as individuals. Uh, but actually, John Calvin, of all people, takes the metaphor even further, and he says, actually, pure spiritual milk is actually all the feelings of the spiritual life. What he's saying is, he's saying anything that vitalizes and nourishes your relationship with Jesus, anything that sustains that relationship, crave that, because it'll help and it'll grow you. You know, maybe that is prayer. Maybe that is watching another person grow in their faith and helping somebody grow in their faith. Maybe it's sharing your faith with your friends that grows you in your faith or celebrating together, coming together on Wednesday nights or on Sunday at church. But I think what's really interesting about this is that, you know, infants don't have to be told to crave milk. Any, you know, parent who has experienced those sleepless nights of incessant and fervent cravings for milk. Know that a child doesn't need to be told to crave milk. But adults apparently do. Like Peter's talking to us, he's, he's like, be like that. How do you develop that craving? Well, I've been thinking about advertising. You know, I watch a lot of sport. My wife will tell you, I watch a lot of sport on TV. I know I'm in the company of many friends, because I know you. Uh, and there's a lot of advertising, isn't there, on TV? And, uh, you know, the way advertising works is by reminding us of experiences that we've had. Very rarely, you know, the product just flashes up at the end. But there'll be people on a cruise down a river drinking a nice glass of wine with loved friends, smiling, with having a good time. And it's all about reminding them of this taste of something that they've had that is good. And the product is merely a means to getting that again. And this is how the logic works. Peter says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, crave pure spiritual milk. In other words, remind yourself of that. Well, you know, the thing that uh, communications people and advertising people know is that the more time you are exposed to that ad, the more likely you'll buy it, you're, you're going to buy their product. The more times you see that, that's why those ads in the sport become really annoying because they're the same ads again and again and again and again and again. They know the more time that you see it, the more chance you have of buying their product. Well, it's the same with our faith. You know, I think the more time we expose ourselves to Christ and his deliciousness, you know that word there at the end, good, 
is actually one vowel away in the original language from being the word Christ. Now that you've tasted that, the, that God is Christ, now that you've tasted that God is good in Jesus, we have to be exposed to that again and again and again. And that's how we'll develop our craving. I've got some ideas on how to do this. You know, maybe it involves turning the car radio off on your short errand just to talk with God. Maybe, maybe it involves scheduling a night in the next month without TV in order to pray and read and have time to reflect. Maybe it means putting down a good book to pick up a better book before you go to bed. Maybe it's about turning off the podcast, taking out the earbuds, just to be in the moment with Jesus, spend some time with him. Maybe it actually involves turning your phone off at appropriate points throughout your week so you can be undisturbed except for by the Spirit of God. You know, and maybe in doing so, we might just begin to retain and regain an appetite for him, even crave for him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, may we be so moved by your kindness to us in Christ, by his goodness, that we will crave him and grow up into his likeness. Amen.